You know what's amazing? That sometimes something will happen in our lives in modernity that will shed light on something that took place in antiquity in the Torah. And I've got to share this story with you, something I heard from my teacher, Rabbi Riskin, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, the founder of Efrat, founder of Lincoln Square Synagogue here on the Upper West Side, who shared a modern story, something that happened to him that helps us explain something that happened back in the Torah. Jacob has been reunited with his beloved Joseph, and he and the other brothers are now living in Egypt. They're living in the cushy suburb of Goshen. Joseph is number two in all of Egypt. He is living in the metropolis in Egypt proper, and he gets this message that his father Jacob is ill. And listen to what the Torah tells us. And it's told to Joseph that your father is, is not well, so he comes with his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim. And Joseph tells his father Jacob, Here I am, Dad. I'm with my two sons. And he strengthens himself. He sort of sits up. You know, his important son, Joseph, has come to visit him with his two sons. And he goes through this whole thing that years ago, God appeared to me and he gave me over this great mission and this great purpose of the Jewish people. He also promised the land of Israel to your descendants. And now, these two sons of yours that were born to you in Egypt after you came down to Egypt, Lihem, they're mine. Can they be mine? It's not clear. Is he asking? Is he telling? They're mine. Ephraim Umanasha, your two sons, Ephraim and Menasha, Kiruven Vishimon Yuli. They should be like Reuven and Shimon to me. Reuven and Shimon were Jacob's two eldest sons. And then he said that whoever is born to them afterwards, they can be part of the inheritance, but these two sons I want to have. And then Jacob continues. And he says, Vani Bavodi. When I was coming from this place called Padam, Meta Alai Rachel Be'eretz Canaan, your mother Rachel died on the way to Canaan. Bederech, on the way, the Od Kivrat Eretz Lavo Ephrata. In the middle of this conversation, for some reason, Jacob starts telling Joseph about what happened, how his beloved Rachel, how Joseph's mother died, and that he couldn't bury her in the cave of the patriarchs with everyone else that she's buried in Beit Lechem. To this day, we know Rachel is buried not in the cave of the patriarchs in Hebron, but in Bethlehem. And then the next verse, even more enigmatically, then tells us, Vayar Yisrael's b'nei Yosef, that Israel, Jacob, sees the sons of Joseph, Vayomer, and he says, Mi Eile, who are they? That is really weird. He's been talking about them the whole time. Vayomer Yosef Aviv, and Joseph says, to his fathers, these are my sons that God has given to me. Take them, va'avarchem, kachem na, please take them to you, va'avarchem, so you can bless them. So there's two questions here. Number one, why does Jacob, in the middle of this whole discussion, mention that Rachel died on the way? What does that have to do with what Jacob is speaking about? And number two, in the middle of his speech to Yosef, Yaakov says, he sees Menashe and Ephraim, and he says, Mi'ila, who are they? I mean, has Jacob gone senile? He's been talking about Menashe and Ephraim the whole time. According to 
the rabbis, the sages in the drash, they had been studying Torah all of those years that Jacob came down to Egypt. He had a, a very close relationship with them, we believe. Why is he asking who they are? So my teacher, Rabbi Riskin, said that he could never understand the story and get an answer to those two questions until he traveled to, to Russia in 1970. The late and great Lubavitch Rebbe sent Rabbi Riskin, amongst many other rabbis, to Russia to help him open four underground yeshivot in Moscow, Leningrad, Riga, and Vilna. The late Lubavitch Rebbe did a lot to, to try to keep the flame of Torah alive when it was almost impossible to live openly as a, as a Jew behind the Iron Curtain for years, for decades. And Rabbi Riskin first went to Israel and then went to Russia. And on the Shabbat, before he was going to embark to Russia, a man he had never met, middle-aged man, approached Rabbi Riskin. And he said, I hear you're going to Russia, which was a little strange because he didn't tell a lot of people. And he asked him if he could deliver two things to his father who was living in Russia. And after Shabbat, he came and he delivered to Rabbi Riskin a letter containing his son's bar mitzvah speech and an etrog. Very strange. Can you please give my father, who's living in Russia, my son's bar mitzvah speech? He told Rabbi Riskin that his father in Russia was a great Torah scholar. and He was worried that his son in Israel, that his grandson was giving a proper Jewish education to his you know, was getting a proper Jewish education from his father. And therefore, he gave him this bar mitzvah speech to show him where his son was holding. That's like a Yiddish, uh, like a yeshiva expression, where he was holding in his learning. It wasn't like a lot of the bar bat mitzvah speeches where, you know, where somebody else writes it for us. This was like an expression of how learned his own son became and an etrog. Swear to me, he told, tells Rabbi Riskin, you will give my father in Russia these two items. So Rabbi Riskin says, look, I'll, I'll do my best. I can't swear, but how do I find him? What's your father's address? And he says, I can't tell you where my father is, but he'll find you. It's kind of like a little James Bond situation going on here. And you'll know who my father is because he's always accompanied by my nephew, my father's other grandson, my brother's son, who also lives in Russia. And that young man that you will see my father with, he's only 18 years old, but he's already become a tremendous Torah scholar. He already knows five Masechtot. He knows five tractates of Talmud by heart and already has his own students. So this is interesting. Rabbi Riskin's looking forward to meeting this older man, this grandfather and his grandson. He gets to Moscow, goes to shul Friday night, sees an older man sitting with a younger man. He's not sure if it's them. He thinks it's them, but they don't approach him after services. So he starts walking back. Rabbi Riskin starts walking back to his hotel room. And the older and the young man start following him. He crosses the street, they cross, he zigzags, they zigzag, until finally they approach him. And I want you to imagine the scene. It's cold, it's winter in Moscow, the snow on the ground. The older man introduces the younger man as his grandson. And he says to Rabbi Riskin, I understand you have something for me. Rabbi Riskin produces the letter in the etrog. And when he hands him the etrog, the old man kisses it, and he starts to cry. Rabbi Riskin then diverted a bit. He, was, he told me the story himself. And Rabbi Riskin said that before he left for Russia, he asked his teacher, Rabbi Soloveitchik, 
He asked Rabbi Salvechik what he could eat in Russia. What was kosher there for him to eat? And the Rav said he could eat this thing called smetina, which is like yogurt, and black bread, because they didn't cook it with oil. But he kept seeing, Rabbi Riskin, when he went to Russia, kept seeing these ice cream trucks with the word mirajine on it. I guess ice cream in Russian. So he asked the old man, when he saw him, can I eat the mirajine? And the old man says, ask my grandson. He knows a lot more than me, 18 years old. And the grandson says, if you drink the milk here, you can eat the ice cream. Which implied to Rabbi Riskin that he did not eat the milk. We have this thing called Chalav Stam, Chalav Yisrael, that we don't have to necessarily have a rabbinic supervision that, the, that the, 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 the milk that we're drinking is coming from a cow and not a non-kosher animal like a pig. But this young man in Russia, in communist Russia behind the Iron Curtain, was makbit, was careful only to eat of Yisrael. And he implied that to Rabbi Riskin. But he says, if you eat regular, you know, you drink regular milk without it being supervised, then you can have the ice cream here too. And Rabbi Riskin said as an aside that um, from then on, he took on only to drink of Yisrael when he came back to New York because he said, if this kid can sacrifice like that, then at least I can do it here too. Anyway, as an aside, Rabbi Riskin saw this man, this young man was not only committed, but quite learned and knowledgeable, and they started speaking in Torah. He was a tremendous Talmud Chacham already, 18 years old. He already knew all of Kiddushin, Sanhedrin, and three other tractates by heart. And the young man told him he had five students, and not one of them knew the existence of the other. This is the way People had to teach Torah, if you wanted to teach Torah in Russia in the 1970s. The grandfathers started to speak. And this is all under a tree in Moscow, freezing snow on the ground. They stood outside for an hour and a half talking. And the grandfather said the following. He said, Rabbi, I have two sons. You met the younger one in Israel. He's the one who gave you the letter in the Etrog. My older son lives here in Russia. This young man's father. He is a communist. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in Judaism. He is a high-ranking officer in the communist regime. He's totally not religious. And this young man, he points to his 18-year-old grandson, is his son. And when he was younger, my son, KGB member, asked me for a blessing. And I told him, I'll bless you, and I'll even give you my share in the world to come if you let me raise your son. I want to make sure that he's taught Torah and he's raised in a certain kind of way. And my son agreed. And I have raised this man, this young man, since he was a little boy. He has asthma, so he couldn't go to school. So I homeschooled him. I taught him Torah and I raised him as a God-fearing Jew here in Moscow. And by the way, it turned out years later that many of the important refuseniks, those who refused the right to emigrate to Israel and the United States, who became Balei Tshuva, who returned to their Judaism, were among the students of this young man. Because the grandfather raised his grandson the way he did, many other Jews in Russia found their way back to their Jewish roots and ultimately kept the flame of Torah burning in communist Russia. Rabbi Riskin said to me that after that encounter, I finally understood the story in this week's Parsha. Jacob looks at his grandchildren, Menashe and Ephraim, and they probably looked like Egyptians. Their father was busy running the country. 
living in the pagan and idolatrous metropolis of Egypt, working for Paro. Things were good in a, in, a, in a material sense. But he was concerned, how would his grandchildren turn out? And so he turns to Joseph and he says, These two sons born to you in Egypt, Lehem, let them become mine. Let me raise them. I'll raise them, I'll bring them up just like I did my own two sons, Ruvain and Shimon. And anyone born to you after that, he says, that's okay. Just let me have an influence over Menashe and Ephraim. Now we believe that Joseph maintained himself in this polytheistic society, but he was busy running the country. And it's not the same as the old grandpa, the old grandfather back from Canaan, back from Israel. You know, the Zaidi. You can't compare what kind of Judaism you can get, even from your own beloved parents, than from a grandparent from the old country. And that answers the two questions that we posed in the beginning. Why does Jacob, in the middle of his discussion, mention that Rachel, his beloved Rachel, dies on the way? Because Yaakov was saying, my wife is no longer alive. I can no longer have more children. Let's make sure that these two boys carry on the Jewish tradition. And that's why right in the middle of the speech, Yaakov asks Yosef, Mi Ela, who are they? Has Jacob gone senile? No. He's saying, really, to whom do they belong? Are they yours or are they mine? Which one of us is going to act like the parent and raise them here? They are my sons, Yosef says. Lihem. And Yaakov says back, Kachemna arvachem. Bring them to me so I can bless them. Let me give them a bracha. Before I leave this world, let me have the opportunity to impart the ways of our ancestors. Give me the chance to imbibe them with the traditions of my father Yitzchak, my grandfather Avraham, so they can be prepared to take over the leadership of Torah into the next generation. And that, my friends, is why to this day we bless our sons to be like Menashe and Ephraim because they had a transmission. They had a Mesorah, we say in Hebrew not only from their father Joseph, who we believe was a tzaddik, was a righteous person, but it's not the same as being able to get it from two generations before, from someone from the old country, from Israel, from Yaakov. And many of you have heard me how Joseph remains the great model for Jews living in modernity. One foot in the world of Torah, he maintained his loyalty and his fealty to, to Torah Judaism, but he was a big shot in Egypt, in that pagan, idolatrous country working for Pharaoh. And there's a beauty in living this kind of complex life we have as modern Jews, but as Torah Jews at the same time. But it's not so simple. Comes along Jacob from the old country, steeped in the values of Abraham and Isaac. He turns to his big shot viceroy son, Joseph, living in the big city, and he says to him, bring them closer to me, so I can bless them. They're the next generation, and the next generation needs the wisdom and the influence of the old generation. And this is such an important lesson for us, because we have grown so, I don't know what the word is, I don't want to say we've grown weary, but we look at anything that's old as primitive and anything that's new and progressive as the new truth. 
and we are leaving behind some of the most valuable wisdom and truth that ever existed that's in the Torah. Joseph represents modernity, popular in the secular world, but we also need the old rabbis. We need their sage wisdom. And we shouldn't roll our eyes when we hear something quoted in the name of an old rabbi who's no longer alive. I've heard people say that. He's dead. He's not even alive. What could he say that's valuable about my life in the new world? He doesn't even know my situation. But that old man, that old fool, we think, is steeped in our Torah, which is connected to God himself, the very creator of your and my existence. If anyone understands what we need in this world, it's someone that's connected in the deepest of ways to our Judaism of old. Our job is to give over a Judaism that's going to last, that's going to make it into the next generation, and that's going to have relevance in our generation. That's only going to happen if it's rooted in the wisdom, in the scholarship, and in the piety of our ancestors. In Judaism, the greatest progress moving forward can never mean we break with the past. Our future depends on reflecting on what once was, to use the age-old values and wisdom of our Torah to guide us in our modern-day challenges. That, is my friends, is the best way to ensure that not only will we have continuity, because you know that continuity, even modern-day demographers, measure Jewish continuity not in only will your children be Jewish, but your grandchildren, two generations. But not only is that the best way to ensure continuity as a nation, as a people, But I also believe that this is the best way to ensure our own personal meaning and fulfillment because the kind of Torah we can get from our ancestors is the kind of Torah we need to find joy and happiness in our lives today. I thank you for listening.